one reason why I think I have been a good music supervisor is because I have had the experience of being an actor and I know what it's like to submit yourself for something and be like, what the fuck? Why didn't I hear back? I'm perfect for that. Like, or I, I delivered, like I worked so hard on that. And like, I did everything that they asked for. And, you know, they've said in the past that they love my work and they're thinking of me for the next thing. Like I've literally been told that so many times as an actor that like, I know what it's like for composers. You know, I know what it's like for artists. Like it's when you get that thing, it's great, but the process is, you know, there is a lot of rejection and it can be kind of exhausting and it can be also just like confusing, you know, mentally being like, wait a second. Like they said that they really liked it. It's like, okay, well, what you're not seeing is like the 20 people on my zoom that I have to present this thing to and all the comments, all the comments back and forth. Oh, that reminds me of this band. Like, didn't we do that already? Or, Oh, "Oh, you know, that's too old. I I think that that's speaking to like a different demographic. We really want it to feel new or, you know, there's, there's so many, and it's, it's so similar, like with acting, you have like directors, you have producers, you have the network execs, like it's, it's really not dissimilar. So mm. that's one thing too. I would just say like for artists, like we're rooting obviously to, we're rooting for artists. We're rooting sure. for composers. Like I like to say, I work in the music industry, not in the advertising right. industry. You know, I, right. I want to make artists successful. Like yes. I want to make them money. I want them yeah. to be able to keep making their art. This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features annual fee, unlimited uploads, and you keep 100% of your royalties. Check out districtkid.com. What's going on? Welcome to the New Music Business Podcast. I'm your host, Ari Herstand, author of How to Make It in the New Music Business, the book. Today, my guest is Winslow Bright. She is a music supervisor or music producer at Search Party Music. They primarily put music in commercials. And they do really big campaigns. They do Sephora, Beyond Burger, Calvin Klein, the one, that commercial that featured Bieber and SZA and Lil Nas X. That was them. Uh, they do Stella, Tiffany, Mini Coop. I mean, you name it. They've, they've done these commercials. Um, and so we talk about what that job is all about and how they decide what songs are going to get placed and how the business works around it, communicating with the ad agency, communicating with the sync licensing companies, the sync agents, the labels, the publishers, you know, working with the artists, uh, talking about cover songs, how get, how covers get placed, how um, we cover in this one, which I don't think we've really talked much about in the past, uh, original music and how that gets composed and scored for commercials and who those people are and where they come from. Winslow is an interesting has an interesting background. She is an actress and a musician as well, and currently working as both. Uh, she's currently in a Shonda Rhimes show that is coming out called Inventing Anna, which is really cool and encouraging to see when you have an artist working on the business side, bringing that artist empathy. She talks about that. I encourage you to stick around to the end of the interview where she talks about that. She talks about um, wearing both hats, how to manage all different sides of everything she's doing, wearing all the different hats as an actress, as a musician, as a business professional, working in music supervision, what it's like, and how all that works. And I know for so many of you who are listening, who are the multi-hyphenate like myself, this is going to be very helpful for you to hear. So stick around to the very end of the interview when she gets into that. As always, please like, subscribe, follow this show, however you're listening to this right now. Like it, follow it, subscribe, leave a comment. If you're on YouTube, please leave a five-star review. If you're on Apple Podcasts, you can, even if you're not listening there, just head over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. That's super helpful. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter at Ari Herstand. You can find the show and everything we're doing on the Ari's Take side at Ari's Take on Instagram, Twitter, 
TikTok. We're now on TikTok. Check us out on TikTok at aries.take on TikTok. Visit ariestake.com. Sign up for that email list. The email list is the most valuable thing that you could be a part of because that is when we are going to let you know about all new comparison articles that we release, everything that I'm writing about. Uh, I send it out to the email list first, all new episodes, all of that stuff. So check it out. All right, let's kick into the show. Winslow Bright, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. So where are you? I'm assuming you're in LA, right? I'm in New York City, so sorry. Oh, you're in New York. No, I'm in New York. I was literally about to say, sorry (laughs) if you hear like a beeping truck or like my neighbor's kid's footsteps or... (laughs) No, that's true. That's pretty common. As quiet as it could ever be, but Um, yeah. So... uh, I'm excited to talk about the commercial side of music supervision uh, with you. And as um, so, if you could actually set up kind of um, what you do specifically as the music supervisor, uh, I know that you're kind of the head of the um, kind of the ad division. but like, give me, give people a little background on like where, what you do with, with, um, music supervision specifically at search party music, what search party is all of that, um, set it up and then we'll, we'll dig into it. Perfect. So as the head of the advertising department, my job is to oversee all of the ad and brand work that we do, whether that's direct to brand whether that's with advertising agencies, um, whether that's brought in through a production company. I really, bird's eye view, oversee all of the sort of work that comes in under that umbrella and either distribute the work accordingly to the other supervisors and producers on our team, or I also produce and supervise as well. It's funny, in advertising, they call it a music producer. Mm. In in film and TV, they call it a music supervisor. It's honestly the same thing. Um, but I think, you know, with advertising, you, every, you know, the, the people who are running jobs, both at an agency and then at production companies are always referred to as producers or at, Mm. in edit houses, you have producers who oversee the editors. So the like overseeing, um, role is a producer, Mm -hmm. whereas, you know, it's just referred to as a music supervisor in film and TV. It's the same it's interchangeable. It's just like an industry difference in terms of terminology. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, my job is to partially bring in work, foster relationships with agencies, with creative directors, with brands directly, again, with Mm -hmm. directors and production companies. Um, And then, like I said, distribute that work, oversee how my team is producing, what kind of, what our communication is like with the clients and, and that kind of a thing. Cool. So, um, when it so set it up in terms of uh when does when do you get involved in a project when does search party get involved and does so does uh so let's let's use a specific example so uh tiffany jewelry i know you worked on that project or one of them um Mm -hmm. tiffany how does that work they come to search party and say hey we have this concept for this commercial here's what it is. Can you help us get the music or like what step me through that relationship and how that actually goes down. So every job is so different. Um, at search party, we don't have in-house composers. We work with composers all on a freelance basis. I saw that you had, um, Seth Mm. Callen on the show and, um, Paul from Mm -hmm. Sapporo door who he manages is a super close friend, amazing composer. He's literally like in a mixed session for a job that I'm working on right now. Um, and has cool. been like working day and night on this project with us. So, you know, we call on people when it comes to original music, we call on people on mm-hmm. a freelance basis based on what the brief is for the job and what their skill set is, and really call on our Rolodex of people, whether it's a um advertising composer that's that, that's their go-to, you know, field, or whether that's a film composer or mm-hmm. a band, you know, or an artist. We really, mm-hmm. we really just try to find the right people for the job. Um, with supervision. And where do you find these people? It can be such, I mean, Search Party started, Search Party was founded, I think, maybe 15 years ago um, mm-hmm. by Randall Poster. So he is a very renowned music supervisor. He's um, most notably known for having done all of Wes Anderson's films. He's done yes. every Scorsese project since The Aviator. Yes. So he 
started getting reached out to a lot by people going, I want Wes Anderson's music supervisor for my ad. <laughs> and Wes was doing, I think, yeah, right. <laughs> um, but Wes at the time was doing some ads. So he had done like a big, he was working on, I think, American Express and he was doing like a Hyundai ad maybe. And he was getting approached a lot about ads and was actually engaging on them. And mm -hmm. so it felt natural for Randy to say, okay, here's, you know, here's where things are expanding. Um, so he started Search Party then. So, you know, we have built relationships with composers just over the years. Sometimes it's people who reach out to me and I listen and, you know, maybe try them on something that I feel like I can take a risk on for mm -hmm. a new person and develop a relationship. Um, sometimes it's somebody saying another composer. I mean, the, the, the community of composers, I feel like who work on these projects is pretty tight. Um, they're always mm -hmm. asking each other. I'm actually in like a Facebook group with composers that the composers invited me into, I think just for perspective, because um, sometimes they'll talk about different budgets Ooh. or how people approach the terms. And um, so, so yeah, it's hmm. like sometimes a composer will reach well, out to me and say, hey, I have a friend who's really amazing. You should engage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And um, speaking I think of, I kind of went off, but back to where we got. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, no, it's perfect. And that's great. And that's actually a great, that's a great tip for any uh, aspiring composer for the, for ads. Um, check out those Facebook groups. That's a, that's a good tip. Um, what do budgets look like for a composer for original music, uh, for these kinds of projects and, and to set that up, um, I do like how on the search party website, you've split up the kinds of ads that you do as original music licensed and re-record, and we're going to cover all three topics. And so Great. let's start on the original music side. You have a composer. What are the budgets look like for that kind of a project just for the composer really? Well, so usually with an agency, so usually if we're engaged by an advertising agency, um, either they will say, okay, we want to work with search party on this project, uh -huh. or they might have a client that mandates that they like kind of triple bid it where they have three different companies put up number, like basically put up estimates saying, pardon me, this is what we'll charge for the demo fee. This is what we'll charge for like the full up like usage fee. Mm -hmm. um, so really just depends on the, on the job in terms of how we get started, I suppose. Oftentimes it could be like search party is demoing on something and another company is demoing on something. We try to avoid that. It's not What fun. does demoing on something um, mean? So you, so oftentimes a, a um, an agency will give you a demo budget where they'll say, okay, okay maybe we have $3,000 and we want to hear 10 options for our um, for our Nissan campaign. Mm. And I'm just making up numbers, but, sure. um, you know, people will say we have a, you know, a, a smaller budget, uh, just for creating the music. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, as a music company, you say, okay, well, I have, again, just as an example, $3,000 and the client wants to hear 10 different options. Mm -hmm. So that means really at max, I can pay people, uh, if they have to hear 10, Three, you know, 10, 3,000 divided by 10, mm -hmm. I can pay people $300 for the demo. Mm. And usually that's like a 30 second spot or maybe a 60 second spot. Okay. Um, so what we do is we, you know, engage people for a certain rate. Maybe if we're getting, you know, if we're getting composers who work a lot in advertising, it might be one rate. If we have, if they're saying, well, we want to engage a few advertising composers, but we also want to engage like one or two film and TV compose, like, you know, we want to engage Carter Burwell. Uh, sure. So we're going to have a separate fee for him or something. Mm -hmm. um, we present those options. And then basically we have a whole back and forth of, okay, the creatives like these maybe three options, we want to continue to revise them um, or, you know what, that direction is totally wrong or we just didn't hit mm. the mark the first time around. We need to go back and do new, op you know, additional options. Mm -hmm. Um, and then usually there's like a, a, a fee that if you, for lack of a better word, win the job, mm -hmm. um, you know, then that's like the ter the usage fee basically. So um, it can be, it can be honestly such a range if you're working on something that's a um, online only uh, campaign where maybe you just have like one composer demoing on something, it can be like a few thousand dollars. And if it's something where it's like a, 
huge Super Bowl original music ad campaign, it could be a hundred thousand dollars. It really Just for the composer? is like such. A, um, it depends on the composer. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. like, it cool. depends. I mean, somebody like a somebody like a really big film and TV composer, if you loop them mm-hmm. in to do original score for an ad, could be a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Wow. Um, cool. So it's a huge, I mean, again, that's got to be somebody who's carrying a really heavy weight, but mm-hmm. it is a really big range, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it, it's, it depends on the client. It depends on the, on the usage. So when we sure. go out for um, an advertisement for a mm-hmm. super, like whether it's a, a search for supervision or whether it's engaging a composer, basically what we usually need to know is obviously who's the client, who's the agency, but mm-hmm. where is the spot going to live? Is it going to live on broadcast? Is it going to live on digital only? Is it going to live on mm-hmm. social only? Where are they pushing paid media for internet? Is it going to be US only, like geo-gated to the US? Mm-hmm. Are they like pushing paid all over the world? Um, is it uh, is it um, is it only going to be on like Hulu streaming or something? So mm-hmm. you know the streaming thing is is often still covered under all internet usage. I wouldn't be surprised if like. I mean, sometimes people will ask, like, can you specify, does that include streaming or does that just include like YouTube pre-roll and things like that? Uh But those are all conversations that we have to have. You know, I think that when people think about supervisors, they often just think about, you know, this person just gets to pick music. And I wish that that was my job. Um, But so (laughs) much of it is like the business side of just like negotiating, like, what are the terms? How long is this going to live? Okay. Well, if you really want to use this Elton John song, frankly, like, it's going to be X amount of money for one year, but you have half that budget. So what if we dock it down to six months? Do you really need the full year, you know, or what if we do the six months with an option to renew if the commercial's doing really well and it's, you mm-hmm. know, really performing and you're seeing a difference based on the fact that you licensed that song and really put forward the money to do that. And so, you're explaining you know, this a, to, um, you're sorry to cut you off, but you're explaining this to no, the, um, client so like the um i i'm assuming the ad agency uh that is putting the whole uh project together so you're explaining this to the client right but but that's based on um what maybe if you use elton john as the example based on what elton john's publishing company and the label for that song um so so whether it's uh I saw that. Um, I think it was. Uh, they was Rocketman. it. Your, oh, it was Rocketman. That was in one we of the spots that yeah. you did, right? That's right. I saw that. Yeah. Um, so, so it, that's what they're dictating to you, saying it's going to be X amount for one year, X amount for six months. Then you take that information and you go to them, and so you're kind of the the middle person between the two. Is that is that kind exactly. of exactly? Okay. Exactly. So, so we are both like the creative and the negotiate. Well, you know we are one step in the creative, right? So at the agency, there are creative directors, there's executive creative directors. You also have like the director who directs the spot if, you know, if they are, you know, involved in the music conversations. Um, Mm -hmm. But, and then you have our taste and our two cents and our kind of filter as well and our interpretation of Mm. what you're looking for the music to do. and then we also wear the hat of negotiator. So we'll work with the agency to determine what their terms are and what their ideal budget is. And then mm-hmm. we go to, you know, for Elton John, we go to Universal Music and we go to Universal mm-hmm. Music Publishing and we negotiate separately with those two parties. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have discussions about about what's, what's needed in the terms, maybe what could be let go and... Mm-hmm. Usually not a lot could be let go. It really just depends. It usually like there's already media buy in place and people know what they need. But again, when you have creative that's so baked around a song, sometimes people are willing to shift things to see how mm-hmm. things are working. Um, and then obviously they go back to, you know, Elton John's camp and Bernie Toppin's camp and they have those conversations about, um, you know, about pricing and about what the, who the brand is and, mm-hmm. you know, a good a, a good example even would be like Elton was releasing a book, his book around the time of the Walmart campaign that we worked on. And like, those yeah. are conversations that we had to talk about because his book is called rocket man. Right. And he licensed right. rocket man. And it was, you know, it was like, okay, you know, his camp had to decide like, does that, 
you know, his, where is his book being sold? Where is his book being pushed? Um, is, is, is his book being pushed on Amazon in a way that having Walmart or rocket man <laughs> in a Walmart campaign, you right, know, would right. be conflicting. Like those are all things that like, obviously those people that, that those camps are, are thinking sure. about. Um, and just to, you know, uh, or, just to clarify for, uh, the, the, people listening to this that may not understand the business uh, as intimately. Um, just to clarify, when you say we had to negotiate with Elton John's camp uh, publishing, Bernie Taupin's publishing as well, because because they wrote the song together, they each have their own publishing right. company. That's on the publishing side. So you have to negotiate with their publishing companies, each of them. And then you go on exactly. because you, you said Universal Records controls the sound recording. Then once you've negotiated the publishing, you head over to Universal Records to negotiate the actual recording of it. Um, and for people that don't mm-hmm. realize, like that's that's a thing. And, and I know you will get into this in a little bit, but you license a lot of cover songs too. And when you do that, you have to negotiate totally. whoever represents the publishing of who wrote the song, and which may be somebody different who actually recorded the song. So that's why you're going to both sides. Now, is it typically uh, a 50-50 split on the sound recording side and the publishing side? Is that what you're seeing these days? Well, I mean, it's just, yes. I mean, most... There are a lot of like, I think back, I think that there are a lot of side conversations that happen. Like when we approach, hey, um, like I was working on something this week where the producer was like, oh, well, you know, do you think that the master is going to agree with the publishing? Because I had just gone off the phone with the label and I was like, okay, I, I think this is the way it's going to go. And I was like, yeah, they're going to call each other. Like as soon as, like as soon as I got off the phone, he called, like the the label called the publisher for sure. sure. Like. Sure. That it was a it was an it was a situation where the band wrote the song. There's okay. no other parties, so you know the writers are the band. The band is the artist. Mm-hmm. It's different when you have you know Amigos song and Drake is a writer on it, and um, Drake has a verse on it. Mm-hmm. There, then that starts to get like more complicated because they might be okay with one fee, but mm. if Drake is involved, it might be like, okay, well, if you're using the Drake verse, then you're basically using a Drake song, so the fees could be different, and that mm. could be base that could be on the master side or on the publishing side, really, probably depending on the song or what you know what he felt like he contributed potentially more so on the master sure but you know if you say like we're not going to use the piece of the song that maybe has the sample like it might be a little little bit easier because yes he's a writer but you're not using his his you know contribution and what to him would carry the weight of you know the the price and the and the popularity from the Drake perspective of the song um are there most favored nations clauses in these contracts? Meaning if the label agrees to $50,000, then the publisher will say, we'll do whatever the label says. So if they say 50,000, that's what we're going to do. You go negotiate with them and we'll just agree to whatever they say. Is that happen? A hundred percent all the time. MFN isn't like everything. Yeah. Okay. Um, Okay. Yeah. Generally speaking, there's like always MFN unless it, the only time I would say there's not is if it's a cover Mm. Um, or maybe if the writers are so, um, so famous and Mm -hmm. the artist maybe wasn't as, um, as well known, and Mm -hmm. maybe that was like the biggest hit for the artist, but the writer has written, you know, if I think about people like from the six, like really big writers from like the sixties, they wrote so many hits that like maybe was a one hit for an artist. And that's like their, the it is their song, but the writer gets licensed so much because they've written so many hits. So they're used to seeing like really big fees, but for that one artist, like they might make a concession to try to get it over the line to get that opportunity. Cause the song isn't licensed that much. So gotcha. that's kind of like, it's right. Ra- it's that's way more rare. It would really sure. more frequently be with a re-record where it's like, you know, this is a much less, um, yeah, I don't know if if you were if you were licensing like what the world needs now, and you didn't mm-hmm. want to use Jackie DeShannon's version, you wanted to use one by like a up and coming artist on like an indie label. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not I'm I'm not going to grant MFN to the indie artist who isn't very well known mm-hmm. with a copyright that is something as highly um, regarded and globally well-known as what the world means now, you know? So obviously we like, we try to be 
fair to the artists yeah. and, um, you know, from the supervisor standpoint and, and make sure that everybody is getting the fee that they deserve and, mm-hmm. um, and everything. But that, that's just like a one area where MFN just really doesn't come into play Sure, so just because let's, it's so different. Yeah. Let's jump into re-records, cover songs that yeah. you're placing. Um, uh, what's the process typically with that? So let's, uh, let's talk about like the Daydream cover by M. Ward. Uh, you you okay. place in a Stella commercial. How did that go down or what is the process of this? Did you go to M. Ward and, and, uh, and Aliyah Farah and, and say, okay, we want you to record this song, this, this uh, redo Daydream and it's going to be for a Stella commercial or did they already have it out and you're like, oh man, this is perfect for the spot. How, how does that go down typically? Yeah. So in that case, we got briefed on the Stella job like maybe in February of last year before like mm-hmm. the world really shut down. Um, and so when they were initially briefing us on the spot, they knew that they wanted to use a song that spoke to escapism. And they basically were like, how can we create this feeling of, you know, no matter where you are in the world, no matter where you are in the U S, um, you know, kind of no matter what time of day, like if you can get a cell out of the fridge and like, just sit down for a minute, you can get like a breath of fresh air and feel a little Mm -hmm. bit of an escape. Right. So that was their brief in February. Mm. And then like everything obviously changed. Um, And the job stayed alive because the brief almost began to feel even more relevant as time passed since people Mm. weren't able to leave their homes and everything. But it just got a little bit more complicated because we couldn't be encouraging people to like have a party or, you know, to gather. So like our you know, lyrical content that we include or that we were trying to trying to sort of find the right message of was pretty, had to be pretty specific um, mm-hmm. and had to not, you know, encourage things that were not safe at the time. So um, at Search Party, we were doing tons of internal, internal polls. We were doing searches. So when we do music searches, we take all those terms that I was talking about earlier and we reach out to our label friends our publishing friends. Um, in this case, it was really just publishing because we knew we wanted to do a re-record mm-hmm. and, um, and we were reaching out and, and everything. And then we, you know, landed on daydream because of just like the nature of the lyrics. And I think it allowed you to feel that sense of escapism in a really personal way, which is really what the, the spot ended up speaking to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and they knew that they wanted to do a cover. So they knew that they wanted to engage an artist. They just mm. didn't really know at the time who they wanted to work with. So they had sent us some mm. references of like tonat, like just different songs that they liked in terms of instrumentation and tonality. Mm. And we basically put many decks together of artists we thought were a great fit. Um, mm-hmm. Artists that we thought would be interested in the project you know, simultaneously while we're coming up with those creative ideas, we're also calling either their managers or the label and saying, Hey, are they around? Would they be interested? I mean, the good thing at the time was that everyone was around. Right. Um, so we <laughs> were able to really like, you yeah. know, get creative. Um, mm. But, you know, not every artist wants to do a cover. Some artists sure. are not interested in that or some artists, you know, are interested in brand work or also like doing custom work for an ad is relentless. Like don't, right. uh, anybody who tells you it's not is, I don't know, a liar. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's really, it's, there are so many rounds. There's so many cooks. There's so many. Um, so for, yeah, yeah it's, for the majority it's just, it's challenge. Right. Uh, for the majority of the re-records that you do, this one sounds like this was done to the spot. Like you settled on, uh the daydream uh the 1966 song uh i think is love and spoonful i believe is like the original artist maybe it's a one hit one mm-hmm. i'd never heard of them before but um but you settled on the song and then you took this to um then did you put it out and say hey who wants to do this or did you go to m ward and be like no. hey do you want to record this at the spot or how did that go down yeah, so we approached um, several artists and and talked to their camps and said, you know, here's here are the boards for the spot. Here's the general concept. We had not shot yet, mm-hmm. and um, we we needed to shoot to the song because everybody's uh, singing on the spot. 
Right. So um, we had to have the song locked, the tempo locked, you know, the instrumentation all pretty much locked. You can add to it, but you really can't can't change the tempo if you have people sure. singing on camera. I mean, they have an earwigs and they're singing to like what they're hearing hmm. um, in terms of the production. So, so yeah, we we approached his camp. He was luckily available and interested. He really liked, you know, the original love and spoonful song mm -hmm. and wanted to wanted to do it so mm -hmm. he did i think maybe two or three different like passes at it with cool. different a little bit of a different approach in each um and then landed on like the kind of the bones of the final direction that we went in and then you know we had a back and forth with our creative team explaining different things that they wanted to hear or maybe things that they were have not certain elements maybe they weren't responding to that maybe they wanted to try to do something else with and then we worked with the production company really closely so that they had all of the stems and the assets to the song so that they could be playing with that in playback while they were live I mean Stella was the first um, campaign to be granted a permit to shoot in San Francisco after this or like on the, you know, the, the downward slope of the stay at home mm. order there. Mm -hmm. So everything was very socially distant and sure. extremely careful and all of these things they shot outside. It was all like very individualized. They shot like in the celebrities homes. I think the director was like zooming in. So, mm. I mean, a lot of like remote moving pieces. Um, mm -hmm. And then we ended up actually, so they, they tried to record the actors live on set to get those, those vocals. We tried doing that and then it didn't quite work. So Aaliyah's voice actually became like the lead actor's voice. Um, uh, and then we ended up doing a bunch of like vocal ADR um, where we had uh, different vocalists like match what they were seeing on once we had a take. Like once we had a cut, we ended up doing like vocal ADR mm -hmm. where we just had people, you know, singing to the timing of the actors, even though they were singing to our song, it's just, you know, it was live and it was like, things were sure. moving. And, um, are there any so instances that was sort of, that was the way that went down. Yeah. Are there any instances? Cause it seems like most of your re-records are done that way. I mean, I was looking at the, um, it was the, uh, Tiffany commercial with Al Fanning, Aesop Ferg, uh, for mm -hmm. Moon River. And there was a big song and dance number where everybody's there and Al is singing. And, um, it, yeah. it, it, right. And that was, that was, that was, crazy. <laughs> that was really fun. It looked crazy. Uh, it looked like that would have been quite a production, but, um, are there yeah. <laughs> instances, um, where you take an existing cover? Because I know that there are a lot of, uh, especially independent mm. artists out there who have covers of songs that they're like, man, I think this would be yeah. really great to get placed or, and they see co covers getting licensed for big spots. Like, have you ever used an existing mm -hmm. cover? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think like anytime where there's like an on-camera vocal element, like we're generally having to create it because the actors are singing. But yeah, we we get pitch covers all the time. Um, and then it'll come up where, you know, Tiffany might say, you know, I really want to license, uh, I don't know, a Beatles song. And uh, they say, you know, what can you see what covers exist of all you need is love, like maybe something cool. is out there, maybe we don't need to commission it, maybe the perfect thing is there. Cool. So yeah, we absolutely look for it. And we absolutely like accept submissions in that way. Um, mm -hmm. It's usually though, I would say, either there's either we have a brief that's like so wide open where we don't have a set budget and somebody can be like where the master owner, you know, the label mm -hmm. can say, mm -hmm. Hey, my artist has a cover of all you need is love. Like it hits the brief perfectly. Or it's where we say, you know, okay, it's kind of wide open and we can go look for, um, you know, we can go look for covers of that. I think where it gets a little bit tricky is if it's a cover, the master, like if you're dealing with an independent sync licensing company, um, the master doesn't, won't know the price of the publishing. So if they say, you know, my artist, Grace Smith, has this amazing cover of All You Need Is Love and they pitch it, they can't tell me what that's going to cost. They can only tell me what it's going to cost from their end. Mm -hmm. They can say, you know, we'd license this master for $30,000, but they have no idea what the Beatles will say for, you know, for right. a year for all media for Tiffany, like they, they just don't have that gauge. So mm -hmm. that's where it gets like a little bit trickier, you know, for mm -hmm. them to be pitching it. It really has to be like, this is a creative, like 
the the doors are wide open, like pitch white, pitch whatever you think will work, you know? Sure. And that makes a lot of sense is like, I, I don't think any independent artist or sync agent is going to expect that their cover is going, that's where MFN wouldn't necessarily make sense where it's like they, they wouldn't expect exactly. that their, their song, their recording is worth what uh lennon and mccartney's publishing is going to ask for that that side so that that's a that's a great example speaking of licensing um so uh with with existing songs not not necessarily covers um i'm curious how you guys approach the uh licenses uh, specifically of lesser known artists um mm-hmm. ideally maybe independent artists or ones that that are coming through sync licensing companies sync agents um and how that goes like i i, I know you use a song for a sephora commercial um duran jones and the indications uh you and me um i believe he's independent um I, like so when you are when you get a brief from like a sephora or something like that What's mm-hmm. the process like of finding the perfect song for that? And do you start with budget? And it's like, well, the budget is a bit smaller, so let's go to the licensing companies versus the labels? Or wh- what's your process there? That's exactly it. So okay. we usually get, um, you know, sometimes we'll be brought in early if people are really thinking about music and looking for music to, um, I guess, play more of a character or a role in the ad. We always like to be brought on as early as possible. I think because, you know, you can wait so long for music, like you can get an edit together and you can get sound design together and you could still not have music. Um, You could wait till the last minute. And I think that's, that's not a fun place for anyone to be. It's not a creative Mm -hmm. place for anyone to be. So we always like, like to be brought on as early as possible, even before the shoot, if possible. Um, But yeah, so an agency will come to us or whoever the client is comes to us and says, you know, we have this Sephora campaign this is the creative, this is what we're looking for from the music. And a lot of our job is interpreting, you know, their brief to us in a musical way. So they might say, we want it to feel really nostalgic. We want it to feel really warm. You know, we want it to feel like it could be something that is played at your grandmother's house, but like a, you know, hip, cool grandmother. Um, (laughs) We want it to feel, you know, we want it to feel organic, but not too, um, not nece- that doesn't necessarily mean or mean singer songwriter. So we take all of that and figure out what does that musically mean? Does that mean soul? <laughs> does, yeah. Does that mean Duran Jones? Does that, right. does that actually mean folk music? Like mm-hmm. what does that mean based on the brand, based on the brief, all those things. Cool. And then we look at the terms. So terms like the, where is it going to live? How long is it going to live there? All of that and the budget, mm-hmm. because, you know, if you have a $30,000 budget, but it's only a month of use. Okay. That's one thing. But if you have a $30,000 budget and it's a year of use, that's a totally mm-hmm. different thing. Right. Yes. So we take that to, we, we take all that into consideration and we say, okay, who are the appropriate parties that have music that fit this brief in this budget? Mm-hmm. And if it's something that's lower then I mean, I will say like, even if we have a really big budget, we don't only go to the majors, like, unless it's like, I need something that is extremely recognizable that sure. a, you know, that 99.9% of people know that everybody knows the words to. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well then you're going to like, you know, more specific people, yeah. but if it's just like, we have a really great budget, we just want the best song. Like we don't stop at the majors. Like we cool. go across the board. There's so many independent licensing companies or, you know, managers direct who represent amazing music. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, where we can, we want to be in a place of discovery and, and yeah. share and also sharing, right. Yeah. Sharing that, you know, discovery with, with, um, you know, the masses if we can. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, so we take that brief and that budget and we send out actual searches. So we usually, I would say if we get briefed on a Monday, we would probably try to get something back to our client by Wednesday as like an average, we can move way faster or way slower, wow. but that's like average. And Two days. sometimes, oh yeah. And sometimes <laughs> that's fast, right? You're saying that's crazy. Fast? Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm like, oh, because we've done it faster. Um, that's crazy. and then sometimes it depends. Like 
if the client is in the edit and like editor on standby and you know, if they're like in the room with them, it's Mm -hmm. obviously way easier if they just go through things together and fly it in, if the edits continuing to change and you know, if they want to kind of talk about it in real time. But I mean, I had a client last week who was like, we, we are out of edit. We're only in finishing. Like they were doing CGI on something and they were like, Mm -hmm. we have to, we can only work with a company that puts things to picture. So Mm -hmm. I edit my whole team edits and I think we put like 200 songs to picture in the course of like five days. It was crazy oh and gosh. like insane, but it was like so many things worked with this spot and they were like, we have like one week to work on this. We're shipping. And like they, it was, it was one of those things where like they'd been doing original music for months mm-hmm. and then the client all of a sudden went, why don't we get a licensed song? And they were like two, you know, two weeks away from like their final day, you know, their ship day. And they they were sort of like, really months later, you're just now telling Mm. us this, trying to sort of get a temperature check. Is this real? And then I got the call that was like, no, this is real. Okay. We're going. And yeah, so it was just like fast and furious. Um, But I will say like, I personally think for anyone who wants to get into music supervision, um, Real quick, I want to let you know about Two Lost. Two Lost is a new distribution company to the space. And let me tell you, I am very impressed with them. I, I got a full deep dive demo with the founder. And yeah, they're very innovative. And when you come into the distribution space at this stage with how crowded it is, you better be innovative. And they are. Yes, they will get your music out to Spotify, Apple Music, all the places, plus 450 other outlets around the world. They do not take a commission. This is why 300,000 artists and labels have already used them. They've already distributed 7 million songs. They offer payment splitting, and they don't charge your collaborators for this service for the payment splitting. They will just pay your collaborators directly for free. They have publishing administration with BMG, so you know it's legit. A lot of distributors have have fallen into trouble with using some other uh, less than legit pub admin services. Well, Two Loss is partnered with BMG. You know it's legit. They offer instant royalty advances. Uh, this is something that's very cool. And if you have historical streaming data and you need just a bulk payment up front, they can see how much your music has earned in the past. I'm like, all right, we think we know what you're going to earn in the next three years. Here's a check for a hundred grand or whatever it will be. And you can just click a button and you get that distributed and um, into your account immediately. They do lyrics and credits distribution for free. They have a very innovative analytics platform where, yes, you will see real-time analytics for Spotify, Apple Music, but also Pandora, Deezer, SoundCloud, and Peloton. They're the only ones that do Peloton. Uh, They also have a service where you can search the internet wherever your music is being used And it will just show you a chart of everywhere, every TikTok video, everywhere, every YouTube video, everywhere your music is possibly being used. I've never seen this before. That was very cool. They'll register you with SoundExchange. And they have a fraud prevention tool. And they're doing fraud prevention. So if you're worried about your music, you know, getting a bot attack or something like that and getting ripped down, which we've seen is a big issue. uh, They have fraud prevention tools that are better than most other distributors that I have seen. Check out Two Lost. You can just go to twolost.com. Use the promo code Ari's Take for three months free and try them out. Let them know what you think. Or honestly, even for some people pitching, it's really helpful, I find, if you can edit to picture, even just for perspective. Like there are plenty of times where I put something to picture and then I'm like, or I try, I should say, to put something to picture. And I'm like, this just is not working. It's like putting like a square peg in a round hole. It's just like, Mm. it felt, you know, when I just kind of teed it up in just like quick time and finder and was watching it together, it felt right. But, but because of the way that the edit is, it has to hit on X beat. And I just can't with the tempo of the music or whatever it is, get it to do that. Or the lyric Mm. doesn't get to a, you know, doesn't get far enough along to where you get the message to sure. where this moment happens or what, and you know, it's an old song from 1957 and there's no instrumental. Yeah, so it's, yeah. you know, if you're working with really new songs, that's different. Cause usually there's stems available. There's like, you know, oftentimes they'll have like a TV track and instrumental like on hand. And then if you go to mix, mm-hmm. like 
you know, you can usually get stems um, mm -hmm. just for mixing purposes, like just to get the levels right. Mm -hmm. But, but yeah, so it can be really, really quick like that. So that's, yeah, no, that, that, I mean, that's very eye opening at how quick the turnaround time is and, and what it takes from your side of it. Now, uh, that's really great advice because uh, I know there are a lot of people listening to this and, and I get these questions all the time of how do I become a music supervisor? How do right. I get this job? This sounds amazing. Um, now, you have a really interesting background as a musician, as an actress, uh, where you're currently still both. Um, how did you get into this this job? How did you get this job? And, and give me a little background on that. Yeah, so... I, um, I grew up in Dallas and when I was growing up, I did like tons of commercial. My, my mom stuck us all into like print modeling when we were really little. I think mm. she was like, you guys are cute. This might help pay for your college. Yeah. Do it until you hate it. <laughs> and I just liked it. Um, <laughs> all of my siblings, well, not all my sisters, I have a brother too, who, um, followed my dad's path in terms of career, but, um, all my sisters kind of all, all work in entertainment or entertainment and, and media. Um, my oldest sister is a, a lawyer at Netflix. My other sister works um, in animation development. My little sister um, is a social media marketing manager. So like, we're all kind of like in that world, I think. And I think it's because my mom had kind of stuck us in this. So anyways, I grew up doing a lot of commercials. Um, and then obviously, and then I was putting myself on tape, literal physical VHS tape. It would be quote unquote sent to LA. And I swear to God, it was just like dumped into a, a dumpster um, every time I would do it. Um, and so I actually, yeah, I ended up um, when I was a freshman in high school, I ended up going out to LA for a pilot season. Mm -hmm. I had known a lot of people who had gone. And I mean, I like, I had seen a lot of people have success. And so I was sort of like, I won't, I'll regret it if I don't try to also, you know, do that. And I did, and I was like, so miserable. It was so mm. miserable. I had no friends and I went from like being very involved in, in a public high school and like doing every, I was like in video tech and I was, I was a cheerleader and I was mm -hmm. in the musicals and I was like on student council. And then I had like mm -hmm. no friends and it was really, were you sweet. out here for that, that whole spring <laughs> and did you have an agent that was sending to you yeah. to auditions and stuff yeah, like that? So or? I had, okay. yeah, I had an agent. I had, a, I had a manager at one point, um, mm -hmm. cause I had an agent in Dallas. And so mm -hmm. my agent in Dallas got me an, an agent in LA Okay, and I moved out to LA. My whole family, it was, it's a, you're going to be like, you're crazy. <laughs> um, <laughs> But my parents, I mean, I had grown up doing this and my parents were super supportive, but I also had four siblings. And so my parents stayed in Texas and I moved out to LA with like a family friend who mm. was my like nanny kind of tutor. She was like 20 and mm -hmm. I was like 15. <laughs> um, and it was, I mean, that part was fun because I had sure. a friend. Um, we could have been reckless, but honestly we were, it was there was a lot of TV watching and a lot of me like just writing sad songs. Um, yeah. So that's when I got really into songwriting because <laughs> okay. I was really fucking lonely. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, so I, I got really into songwriting there and I was a guitar center buying a guitar. Yeah, I don't even remember where it was like, I wish I could tell you which one you would probably know. I probably like rocking like the, right? the one on, yeah, the guitar <laughs> center on, uh, on sunset, probably in Hollywood yeah. maybe. Yeah. And I ended up, I was, I, I was with my mom. My mom was in town at the time. It was like, my parents would come out all the time, but mm -hmm. my mom was in town at the time and had, you know, my mom was very chatty, um, and personable. And she was talking to somebody there and she was like, my daughter is really into songwriting. And like, I want, we want to get her some things to where she can record these, you know, songs that she's writing. And like, do you know anybody who records people like who want to make music? And so she ended up talking to somebody just working at guitar center and I think gave them her info. Pardon me. And then like two weeks later, my mom got a call from somebody being like, Hey, I go to this guitar center a lot. And I, um, you know, I heard your daughter writes music and, you know, I have, there's a few other people that I, um, young talent that I work with who I, who I've, you know, kind of helped write with and co-write with and try to find opportunities with and two, two other artists I'm managing. And so my mom was like, 
all right, let's talk. And so, um, oh my God, I, that sounds like a horrible it, setup to a horrible trap. Not. That's the it's stuff that not. happens in LA all the time. It's like, no, no, I no. Think, you know, luckily, like we had been around <laughs> enough of, we've been around enough to know what was like really bad. Right. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, it was honestly really innocent. Um, mm. I ended up doing a lot of co-writes with, um, with him and um, he, I, I don't think he ever technically managed me. I just wasn't in the, a place where I felt like that was what I wanted at the time, but I ended up mm-hmm. doing a lot of co-writes and I met some other writers and producers through him and did a bunch of um, co-writes with them. And he actually had started placing like just as an opportunity for the other artists he was working with. He had gotten connected to a few um, you know, independent licensing companies and started placing uh-huh. their music. And so cool. he was like, you know, once we write a song, I'm going to send it to people and see if they'll put it in a TV show or put it in a this or put it in the that. Yeah. And um, this was like right around thing when like, this was like right around when like Grey's Anatomy and when sure. Tree Hill and all those shows were like starting to place independent music. We actually so, just had Lindsay Wolfington on the, on the show uh, oh, nice. who did, who was the music supervisor for One Tree Hill, but mm-hmm. continue. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That the mid two thousands, early mid two thousand, uh, like twenty tens. That's changed uh, the game. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, Grey's Anatomy, One Tree Hill. They were breaking artists left the and OC. right. Oh, see, Alexander Patavas. That's like exactly. she's the the rock star of that world. But yes. exactly. Yes. Yeah. So I got really lucky, and I had like a few songs placed, and my mom writes too. My mom mm-hmm. had a few songs placed, and yeah. So I that kind of just opened my eyes to that. Okay, I can maybe I can. I mean, I was, I wanted to be an artist, um, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't really like, wasn't really necessarily at a point where I was liking things where I was like, I love this for me. I want to stand behind this. It was almost like I was still trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I ended up moving back to Dallas and um, I found a, a, a writing, uh, some a pr- amazing producer in Dallas. He's he's very well known in Texas. His name's Sleem Narala. Worked with him a lot um, when I was like at the, at the end of high school and wrote an album with him and came out with that. And I was still acting and I just didn't think I wanted to go to school like for acting in a conservatory. I felt like mm-hmm. I, I, that wasn't, that wasn't where I felt like I fit in when I was in high school. I felt like acting was something I did outside of school. And it was something, it was like a career that I always had. And so I wanted to be in a place where I could be acting, but I felt like I'd gotten so into music that I felt like if I could go to school for music business, that might, that might be more helpful to me. Uh And so I ended up, I was kind of struggling, honestly, at the time, there were very few, um, music business programs that I felt were like a good fit. Like I, I even applied to UT's music business program at the time as like a backup thinking maybe mm-hmm. I would, as a backup, I didn't get in. Um, thinking <laughs> maybe I would just like, I don't know, go to UT in the fall and then go to LA for the spring or something. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what I was thinking. And they made me sight read for my audition. And I just, I remember like walking out of there just crying. Oh, and my gosh. dad was like, Winslow, everyone, like God bless these people. And I hope that they're happy with whatever they do or want to do in life. But he was like, everyone who's in that program is going to be teaching. He was like, you're, you're not going to be a teacher, you know, and it's crazy. Like I had so much experience and that was what I was tested on. Mm -hmm. So I kind of started to think, okay, maybe I should go to, maybe I should get into, maybe I should try film school because my sister went to film school and maybe I could direct and still do music and that'll give me more acting perspective. So I got an NYU's, um, website to apply to Tish for um, film school. And I saw the name Clive Davis and I was like, Mm. well, I know who that is. Um, And the program was only a few years old and I ended up, um, you know, applying to the Clive Davis Institute and got in. And so when I was at Clive, I was making music and I was, you know, in in Clive Davis, they really teach you every aspect of the industry. That's their goal. It's like 360 music, um, you know, performance, songwriting, production, the music business side. And then they sort of like let you, you know, pick a lane. Mm -hmm. And I was Mm -hmm. making music and I was still acting. I had an agent here in New York. As soon as I moved here, I, I got an agent and I just was like having a hard time every, I felt like Every time I was around music people, it was like, I could only talk about music. Every time I was around acting people, I could only talk talk about acting. But at the same time, it's like, I felt like if I went and worked at a label, I couldn't talk about, I was, I was worried I wouldn't be able to talk about music or if I worked in casting or in production, I wouldn't be able to talk about acting. And so Mm -hmm. I, I kind of felt really, um, 
kind of boxed into like whatever I was like, I could only be wearing that hat at that moment. And then, um, yeah, I discovered music supervision and I, and I just went down this huge rabbit hole of like, Mm. okay, well, what are all the music, music, you know, what are all the movies that I love? And what are all the projects that I love? And you know, what are all the TV shows that I love? Where did I think music was really interesting? And Randall Poster just kept coming up at every turn. And um, huh. cool. I actually, I think I even emailed Alex Patsavas to work for her at one point. I emailed, mm-hmm. I mean, I emailed like so many people um, sure. and what never heard back from like anyone. And then I ended up working at Bank Robber as an intern, amazing the sync independent licensing company. Lic- yeah, yes. amazing independent yep. sync licensing company. Um, mm-hmm. Lyle, who owns it, is so fantastic. And I get to work with them now on, on this side of things, which is really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but I ended up working there. And then like my last my last semester in school, like I, I graduated early. So the summer before my last semester, I ended up getting a hold of Search Party. I like figured out that Randall Poster owned a company called Search Party for Advertising. And so sure. I ended up getting a hold of them and they had a really new producer. Her name's Genevieve Vincent. She's an amazing uh, film composer actually. And she has an accomplished supervisor, but now she's really focused on on film scoring. And at the time she was like the, the junior producer there. And I came in to interview for an internship and she was like, oh my God, we need help or like drowning. And she was like, you work for bank robber? Okay, done, basically. (laughs) Which I was like, okay, that's all I needed to do, great. Um, And I literally have been there ever since. So Mm. um, I think because it was like its own lane, I was really able to, I was really able to kind of hit the ground running and take the things that I loved from, you know, being a huge film and TV fan. Yes. And knowing what I know about having been on set from commercials mm-hmm. um, and then also knowing everything I know about composition and, you know, and about music history and about, you know, editing and, you know, production from a music standpoint and kind of marry that into one mm. uh, and kind of, I don't know, I, I think it kind of like merged all my skill sets to create this new like yeah. superpower. Cool. That's, that's great. And it's kind of a long story, but no, but it's, it's, it so clearly illustrates how it led you right here. And this seems like the perfect position for someone like you who has been on both sides of the, the, the acting side, the music side, you know, yes, your love of uh, film and music and all of that. So that's, that's really cool. Um, I mean, it seems, but people who would want to get into music supervision, it seems like uh, the natural step is like you did, you know, find some company, someone who's working in music supervision, whether it's on the licensing side, whether it's on, you know, whatever side. And then, I mean, you you said you had an internship at Bank Robber. Was that your first in or was it? Yeah, I mean, I had I had interned other places doing other okay. things like I interned for like an in, doing in or I had interned. Yeah. Um, and a number of other places, but that was like my first sync, uh, like sync and supervision cool. internship. And then I, I started as an intern at search party sure. and then I've just mm. now been there ever since. Um, right. but, um, but yeah, I think personally, like we have people come to us all the time who are like, I only want to work in supervision. Like I just want to work for a supervisor. And I, while I, I respect people who know exactly what they want to do and like yeah. have a really focused, clear mind about it. But I will say that like our industry is very tight knit and Mm. all the time I have people asking me from labels and publishers, Hey, we're looking for a really great, um, you know, junior person or, you know, other supervisors being like, Hey, I really need a coordinator. Like everyone's talking all the time. And just because Mm -hmm. you've been on one side doesn't mean you can't move to the other side. It's not always super easy. If you're maybe, if you, don't, if you get bogged down in sort of like the bureaucracies of maybe being like a major label for a really long mm-hmm. time. And then we're being like, okay, do I move to the other side or what do, what do I do? You know, if you're right. kind of used to a certain system, of course, mm-hmm. that, but that's mm-hmm. any job. Sure. That's like sure. that's any career anywhere. Right. So, yeah. you know, for me personally, I would say like working for, working for a supervisor, if that's really what you want to do, obviously mm-hmm. like that's, then that's the goal. Um, right. But also there's, you know, there's, 
there's departments you can work in at um, networks. There's like, mm-hmm. you know, you could work for Netflix on their, on their team or Apple, or, yeah. um, you know, you could work for HBO, like you could work for companies where you could work mm-hmm. for individual people like Chop Shop, Alex Batsavis, or Search right. Party and Randall Poster. Mm-hmm. Um, or you could work, you know, with sync licensing, like on that side, on the pitch side. And yeah, to me, I think like, per- it's always good to see things from the other side. I think like one reason why I think I have been a good music supervisor is because I have had the experience of being an actor and I know what it's like to submit yourself for something and be like, what the fuck? Why didn't I hear back? I'm perfect for that. Like, or I I delivered, like I worked so hard on that. And like, I did everything that they asked for. And, you know, they've said in the past that they love my work and they're thinking of me for the next thing. Like, I've literally been told that so many times as an actor that like, I know what it's like for composers. You know, I know what it's like for artists. Like it's when you get that thing, it's great, but the process is, you know, there is a lot of rejection and it can be kind of exhausting and it can be also just like confusing, you know, mentally being like, wait a second. Like they said that they really liked it. It's like, okay, well, what you're not seeing is like the 20 people on my zoom that I have to present this thing to and all the comments, all the comments back and forth. Oh, that reminds me of this band. Like, didn't we do that already? Or, Oh, "Oh, you know, that's too old. I I think that that's speaking to like a different demographic. We really want it to feel new or, you know, there's, there's so many, and it's, it's so similar, like with acting, you have like directors, you have producers, you have the network execs, like it's, it's really not dissimilar. So mm. that's one thing too. I would just say like for artists, like we're rooting obviously to, we're rooting for artists. We're rooting sure. for composers. Like I like to say, I work in the music industry, not in the advertising right. industry. You know, I, right. I want to make artists successful. Like yes. I want to make them money. I want them yeah. to be able to keep making their art. So, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, I think that that perspective has given, or that those different experiences have given me a lot of perspective that Mm -hmm. I think can, you know, shine light on, on why things happen a certain way that they do. It's certainly like made me be more patient as an actor too. Yeah. Okay. Now that I've seen it, what goes into it, I get it. Yeah. It doesn't make it easier, but sure. (laughs) No, that's mentally it can help. Yeah. Yeah, and it's great. It's great perspective and great advice. Um, I'm curious how, because you're currently an actor. I mean, I saw you're working. I, I is it on a? You're on a Shonda Rhimes show right now, or that's coming yeah. out? And and um, I think it'll, I think it'll come out this year. Um, okay, I think COVID it's already kind shot, right? It. My it's, yeah, my, it's I'm finished or, shooting. Yeah, got it. So yeah. um so. That's really encouraging and and interesting. And I'd love for you to pull back the curtain a little bit because most artists these days are wearing multiple hats, doing multiple things at once, whatever your field is in. And it's cool to to see someone as successful as you on this business side and employed in this, you know, search party doing, you know, such a kick-ass job there and like involved so deeply in that, but also still running an acting career, how do you balance that? And what is that like for you switching those hats? It's hard. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's really, it's a challenge. Um, I think it's, I think though, I'm so, I mean, I'm so grateful for all the things that I do, but like, I will say when one is not going well, it's nice to have the other or when Mm. one is really frustrating, it's really nice to have the other. Like sometimes it's really fun. If I've had like a really bogged down business week and I get a tape that, or I get, you know, a request for an audition or a tape or something Mm -hmm. where I just kind of like, can like let it fly and like, like let the wheels come off. That's just Mm. like amazingly therapeutic and fun. Mm -hmm. And if, if you do it right, it doesn't really matter if you get the job, the, the, you know, the audition, like even just like going through the experience and, um, it's like writing the song. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't, you know, if you write a great song and if you have, if you're in the moment and it feels good, then Mm -hmm. you get that sense of euphoria. And that's really why we do what we do anyways. Like, you know, obviously performing, you get it the most, you know, when things are really clicking and like all of that, that's why people end up doing 
drugs because <laughs> you're trying to replicate <laughs> how like right. high and amazing you feel when you're so in something. So, yes. you know, sometimes when I've had like a, a really bogged down business week, like it's amazing to pivot and, and, and be able to take a script and just like run with it and be somebody else. Um, mm. On the flip side, mm. you know, when I've sent in like a million tapes or gone to a million auditions and I get feedback, like she's amazing. We're thinking of her for next time. Or like, you know, loved her not going her way. Or I just hear nothing. And I think it's something that I did really amazing on. I mean, my managers are fantastic and they mm -hmm. always try to give, you know, try to get feedback where they can. But sometimes, you know, people, I like sometimes they're just moving too fast and you're just not going to hear back. Right. Or sometimes they already had something in mind, someone in mind, and they just had to go through the process of auditioning other people just in case. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in those circumstances, I'm like, it's, it's nice to be able to be like, you know what? I'm fucking kicking ass in my job and we're working on amazing projects. I feel really creatively fulfilled through that. And I feel mm -hmm. successful through that. Mm. And I have an amazing team who supports me and who I'm inspired by and all of that. So honestly, it's so nice to have both. I have actor friends mm. who, especially right now with like, just with the state of the world, I have actor friends right. who it's, you know, I talk to them and they're like, I'm auditioning in my bedroom every other day. And I don't right. hear things back. And yeah. that's so hard. It's yeah. exhausting. So, yeah. you know, as an actor, I'm so lucky to have, you know, music supervision as something that I really love, just mm -hmm. a different muscle I can flex. But, you know, I think to be honest, acting and supervising has been um, easier than making music and supervising making mm. music is really hard um or has been challenging for me to like drop the judgment of it because i kind of judge music all day mm. not from a judgmental perspective but you know i'm always thinking like how will this work with this thing right and so right. sometimes it can be hard to go from like how will these things work into this thing and how does this music fit into this world and then just kind of like everything goes away and you're like, who, where do I start? Like yeah. acting, at least I have somewhere to start. Like somebody, you know, gives me a script or an idea or whatever, sure. and then I can kind sure. of take it and run with it. So it's definitely a challenge. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. but no, it makes, it makes perfect sense. And, and I, 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 I see this yin and yang that you're constantly dealing with, but also it can fuel one another and help you keep going. And it's nice to have, uh, something to turn to when one of them is presenting challenges or is frustrating. So that that's yeah. really cool to to see. Um, so this has been amazing. Uh, I have one final question that I ask everybody who comes on the show, and I'm very curious to hear your answer, especially uh, now knowing so much about you. Um, <laughs> what does it mean to you to make it in the new music business? So for me, I think if I can support myself creatively through music. Mm -hmm. I never want to be in a position where I'm only on the business side. You know, mm -hmm. I, I love the creative side. I love working with creators. I love working with artists. So if I can support myself through being creative in music and support artists mm -hmm. and their creativity through music, that's good for me. I love it. Winslow Bright, thank you so much. This is great. Awesome. Thank you. So fun. Brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee unlimited uploads, and you keep 100% of your royalties. Check out districtkid.com. Uh -huh.